We've set a new record for intermissions, 12 and a half minutes. <laughs> I've been handed this pretty gold butterfly pin. If any of you recognize it, it will be on top of the piano after our meeting. I'd like to remind you of our two announcements earlier. The Al-Anon meeting at 3 o'clock this afternoon in room 27 in the main building. And immediately after lunch, a rehearsal of our Blackstone Volunteer Choir with our lovely Volunteer Choir Director, Dot Squires. Please join us if you think you have any kind of voice at all. And now to the second half of our doubleheader. This half will be devoted to our sister fellowship of Al-Anon. And you will be glad you came. Although I've known Ramona's great reputation for quite some time, I did not actually meet her until this Thursday evening. She captivates you immediately by the warmth of her personality, and I know she will capture your hearts as well. This great gal has really been around, and her capacity for sharing is as remarkable as it is contagious. To know her is to enjoy her, to know her is to believe her, and to believe in what she stands for in Al-Anon. She is different, she is vibrant, she is fascinating. I'm proud to introduce from Okmulgee, Oklahoma, Ramona B. I'll just sit down. I can never live up to that. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Can you all hear me up there? Okay. I ain't got much to say, but be damned you're going to hear it. I'm starting off in one bad shape. I ain't got Tommy Lovern as a minister, and I ain't got Julian as a sponsor. <laughs> now you'll know why I'm in the damn mess I'm in. <laughs> oh, it's so great to be here. I've always heard of Blackstone. You know, you hear about these great places and the great places the great people are. And you just think, you know, wouldn't that be wonderful? And you don't ever dream of it getting to happen to you. But you know, we're walking miracles and it got to happen to me and I get to be here. Now, I don't know why you're here. That's between you and your higher power. But I know why I'm here. I'm here today, right now, right this minute, doing just exactly what my God wants me to do. And I'm grateful. Well, I'm Ramona from Oklahoma. <laughs> And I am a recovering Al-Anon because I was one damn sick Indian. <laughs> I am a member of the Okmulgee Al-Anon group. I am not anonymous. Okmulgee and I'll get it. Well, what I'm going to talk about today it's what we all talk about. What I was like, what happened, on what I would like to become. Because it's not what I am today. It's what I'm working toward. Well, what I was like was a mess. <laughs> and I could stop right there. But I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. 
You see, before I left the reservation, uh, my father said, Ramona, don't cut your hair. And my mother said, Ramona, don't share your blanket. <laughs> and then I met the great white father. <laughs> and that's what I'm going to talk about. The biggest fight that one cowboy and Indian ever had in Indian territory. <laughs> it was like Custer's last stand. I was a country girl, and I guess I still am. And I met and fell in love with a cowboy. And I had my first date with this cowboy. And we went to what some of you might remember as a honky-tonk, which I was not allowed to go through, but I went. So I was started off well, doing what I wasn't supposed to do with who I wasn't supposed to be with, where I wasn't supposed to go. <laughs> and he got out of the car and walked around and opened the door to help me out and reached under the seat and handed me a bottle. And he said, would you put this in your purse? And I said, sure. Oh, boy. I was so excited. <laughs> I'd never gone with anybody that, had, that drank, let alone asked me to carry a bottle. I thought, great big college man, fraternity man. You know, I'm really with it. <laughs> Wheeler dealer. That's just right. I got with it, and that's what he was. <laughs> well, we married, and we moved to a ranch. And I thought life was going to be wonderful. You know, we'd live on the ranch and raise white-faced cattle, and he'd kiss his horse and stay at home with me. <laughs> his name was not Roy Rogers. I ain't never even get me mixed up the damn horse. <laughs> well, we went out on the usual parties like everybody else on Saturday night, and I liked it. I thought it was fun. You know, he was quiet. And uh, when we go out on these parties, why, well, he laughed and he talked, and, and he was just cute. And I thought he was a dog. And we'd go home, and, you know, he'd be real affectionate. And I like that, too. So I didn't mind the drinking. But we kept on going to parties, and, and he kept on drinking, and uh, then he started getting ready for his parties at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And I didn't think that was right. And then he wasn't so cute at the party. Everybody else laughed, but I didn't. I didn't think he was funny at all. I was worried. And, and we'd come home, and uh, I didn't want to be affectionate. I was upset. This wasn't the man I married. What was happening to him? So the next day, you know, I'd say, do you know what you did last night? He'd say, hell yes, I know what I did last night. Well, I'm going to tell you what you did last night. And with that, he would silently steal out to the barn, saddle his horse, and ride away. And that's frustrating. When you want to tell somebody what they've done, you damn sure want to tell them what they've done. Well, I was concerned. It was a problem. Not to him, but to me. And I started watching him. And how much he drank when we went someplace. Constantly looking. Scared. And so I thought, well, the answer to this is a baby. And then we'll settle down, you know. We won't be out running around and going to parties. We'll be a family. And so we had a papoose. <laughs> and now you all know what a papoose is. A papoose is a prize you win when you take a chance on a blanket.
So we had the little papoose, and it was a little girl, and I thought, oh, life will be just wonderful. Now we're a family and everything's great. That little girl was only six months old, old when I t- took my first trip home to mother, the first of many trips, and I took the baby and went home. And he did just exactly what I intended for him to do. He waited two days, and he came after me. And that's what I wanted. And he walked in and he said the exact things I wanted to hear. Come home, Ramona. I love you. I love Robin. And I won't drink so much. And I said, okay. Because that's what I intended for him to do when I left. And he did it just the way I wanted. And we went home. And for a day or two, he did exactly what he said he would do. (laughs) And then, you know, what happened? And things were the same. You know, I never had to worry in our household about when Bob was going to drink. You know, a lot of people, and mates of alcoholics say, well, you know, you, you just don't know. You might set off a drunk. I never had to worry about it. Bob drank all the time. <laughs> if you mentioned it, he'd look at you and say, Ramona, it's five o'clock somewhere. I got more frightened and more concerned, and I didn't know where to turn. And then we had a little boy, and I thought, this is it. This is the answer. See, I was always looking outside to change things. I'd change everything, and then it would be all right if I could fix things. Then he wouldn't drink so, and I would fix it. So the little boy was born, and I thought, this is it, a son. I had prayed for a son. This is what he wants. Now he'll be the kind of father that he wants to be. He'll set the example for this boy. And he loved children so. And he drank. And then I started the horrible, horrible part. The terrible thing that happens to you when you live with the disease of alcoholism. And alcoholism is a disease. It's an illness. My husband had a compulsion and it was alcoholism. And I had an obsession and it was alcoholism. And it almost killed us both. And I fought so hard because I was going to change the disease. There wasn't anything wrong with me. Nothing. So then I started the terrible things. This is the sad part. This is what happens to you on the inside when you watch somebody dying, killing themselves, somebody you love with all your heart, and they're dying and you can't stop it. And so I went to my family. I wanted help. I was scared. I was sick. I was lonely. And I said, help me, please, do something for me. This was my daddy. I was daddy's girl. He'd always been able to fix fix everything in my life. Take care of this. And they looked at me, and they said, Ramona, get out. Bob is a good boy, but he drinks too much. Get out. Get our grandchildren out of that home. We didn't raise you to live like this. And I couldn't say, I love this man that writes hot checks. I love this man that doesn't come home. I love this man that isn't taking care of us. I couldn't say anything. Because I really didn't know what love was. And he wasn't living up to the standard that my family had set for my husband. So I walked away, and I couldn't talk to them anymore. I couldn't be close to them anymore, and I had to withdraw. Then I went to his family, and I said, help, you know, help. Do something. This is your son. He's going to kill himself. He's dying. Do something for him. And his mother looked at me and said, well, Ramona, He wasn't an alcoholic when he married you. (laughs) 
That'll send you home a trotting. Was he? Now the guilt hits. Was he? Wasn't he? He didn't act this way. Am I responsible? Have I done this? What did I do? What can I change? Why? So I don't have anything to do with his family anymore. I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to be guilty. And the children. The children. This is one of the reasons. This is the one of the reasons I want to talk. This is the one of the reasons I want to share the hurt I inflicted on my children. You that are young mothers, and I am so grateful when I look in this fellowship and I find the young mothers and the young fathers, and they're there to do something about themselves. And I am so grateful because I have to tell you about me, and you don't have to do the things I did. You don't have to hurt your children the way I hurt. I do not walk with a load of guilt because this happened. I do not have to. My God is a loving God and he understood and forgave me. But I can share what I've learned and gratitude. And someone else won't have to walk where I walked. My poor children... You see, they understood their daddy. It was real simple. Daddy did what daddy did because daddy drank. If daddy didn't drink, he wouldn't do it. There was the cause and there was the result. But what was the matter with their mother? I would be perfectly fine cooking supper. They would be in the kitchen talking. We'd be laughing. And Daddy would come home for supper. And they would be thrilled to death. And they thought this was what Mother wanted because this was one of the problems in our house. Daddy didn't come home. And here he was. And he'd walk in with that cowboy hat and he'd just grin and he'd look over at me and he'd say, Hi. And there was one of those blue eyes that didn't look just right. And he'd walk through the kitchen, and I'd haul off and kick the refrigerator. I said, damn mad. Furious. Gonna kill him. And the kids would say, what's the matter with you, mother? He came home. Didn't you want him to come home? He'd just kill him, coming home drunk. And he'd go in to take a nap. And I'd go in, and I'd wake him up. <laughs> I'm going to talk sense to you. Do you understand? I'm going to talk to you. <laughs> you know, y'all are trying to tie, find a time to talk sense. 6.30 in the morning is a good time to talk sense. I'd try that. And I'd wake him up and I'd say, I'm going to talk to you. Yes, Ramona. If you loved me, you would not drink like you do. I love you, Ramona. Let me sleep. You're not going to sleep in my house. Do you understand that? You're not. So he'd get up. I'll leave. By God, you won't sleep anyplace else either. Do you understand? I'll stay. Just let me sleep. I couldn't let him sleep. I was miserable. I was dying. He couldn't just go to sleep and not be miserable too. You know. Uh, right now, I want you all to do something for me. Right now. Smell. Lean over. Smell somebody sitting right by you. <laughs> Isn't this the most blessed smelling place you ever smelled in your life? In AA meeting, I love them. Al-Anon, I love them. I just go around. <laughs> if you don't appreciate this, you've never slept with a drunk. You talk about blessings in this program, that's one of them, boy, and don't you ever forget it. 
When you walk in that meeting hall, you smell. Oh, Lord. Bob drank rope calves, and you know what calves do, and it got on him. And it was all mixed up together, and he went to bed. And then there would be another fight. But that's another story. Oh, and then I started. You know, the children. They'd look at me and just shake their heads. And they'd go off and talk with each other. They couldn't understand their mother. Mother. They'd hear the fight and I'd put him out of the house. And then I'd go get them up out of their beds and put them in the car and we'd go hunting. And they'd say, Mother, you ran him off. And I'd say, Yes, but we're going to bring him home. <laughs> What's the matter with Mother? Sick, hopeless, helpless, and obsession. A family disease called alcoholism. And the laughter, that was gone. These are the things you lose. We didn't laugh in our home anymore. And oh, I come to meetings and I hear the laughter. And I just soak it up to my bones. It's so wonderful. It's the sound of God to hear the joy of the laughter in an AA or Al-Anon meeting. Listen. Sometime when you're there, listen. Smell and listen. And then count your blessings. Well, I started then the withdrawal from people. And you know what that is. You don't have people come in because you don't think it's the right time. You're afraid they might walk in and find something you didn't want them to know. And you start not going anyplace because you're afraid to meet people. Afraid they'll ask you something. And you start the hiding. <laughs> you alcoholics stand up and you talk about hiding a bottle. And all of your problems that you went through hiding a bottle. Did you ever try to hide a damn drunk? <laughs> now that's what we did. We tried to hide a live one. And I was going to hide it from everybody. And I wouldn't go out. I went to the grocery store at 8 in the morning. I only went to the bridge club. I had one bridge club and I refused to give it up. And then I, I took a leave of absence after a girl, a girl had three cokes. And I looked over at her and I was her partner. And I said, did you know that's the third one you've had? <laughs> and they said, do you count people's cokes? So I left. I was sick. And then the last withdrawal of all, the one that will kill you, that will eat you up. I decided that the one thing that I knew and knew well about God was the God that my mother had told me about and that I had heard of in Sunday school. And this was a God that rewarded you when you were good and punished you when you were bad. And I was not good enough to deserve a sober husband. Because I would just pray and pray and pray. God, give me a sober husband and I'll take care of the rest. He didn't have another thing to worry about. I was perfectly capable of handling anything else if he would just get him sober. <laughs> oh, this was quite a period. That was when I spent all of our money on spray. And I'd, Bob would come in from roping and lie down on the bed, and when he passed out, I'd spray him. Because he smelled so bad. So if I wasn't praying, I was spraying, or I was spraying and I was praying. But I was doing one or the other. So I decided I'd become good. 
So I just absolutely got so good that nobody could stand me. I was there every time the church opened the doors, kneeling on the front pew so everybody would see me, that good little woman. And I was saying, God, reward me. I'm being good. And I took a Sunday school class. I would teach his word. <laughs> Excuse me. Now we'll have new girls come to Al-Anon, our little group, you know. Their first meeting, we'll have a meeting. And then after the meeting, someone will say, do you have any questions you'd like to ask? And they'll look over and say, well, I really don't think I need to come to this. You see, I attend church and teach Sunday school. And I just fall out, you know. And everybody, the poor girl, what's happened? You know, Ramona's having a hysterical fit over here. <laughs> People wonder what's the matter with the youth of today. I can tell you. People like us, when all hell's broken loose at home... Our own kids are a mess, and nothing's going right, and so we run out and teach Sunday school and carry a message to the world. Well, I told God, I said, I'll teach your Sunday school, and you give me a sober husband. Simple as that. And I'll carry your word. And I taught that Sunday school, and I prayed, and I went to church, and I went to PTA, and I was a den mother and a Cub Scout and everything else you could be. I didn't get sober. Would you believe it? It did not interfere with his drinking whatsoever. He just went right on. So that was the end. Now that was it. I'd had it. I made a bargain. And you know what I did? I quit that damn Sunday school. Now a bargain's a bargain and I don't care who you make it with. And I made one. And he didn't keep his side of it, did he? And there was the last withdrawal, the cutting away. I'd lost my family. I couldn't communicate. My children, they were lost to me. I couldn't even see the little thing. I was so obsessed with the disease of alcoholism. My friends, I had none. I didn't have time. I was cut away. And now then, I had no God. And this is the terrible part. No God. What do you pray to? Who do you hope for? What is there? Nothing. And there I was. Well, I'll give you one little example of how sick Ramona really was, and we're not going to talk about that anymore. But you see, I had to tell you what I was like. Or you couldn't realize that maybe I've changed a little bit. What this program, and a God is I understanding, can take and do. Well, this was a Sunday morning in our house. I had nothing to do with church. I got up, and I had not cut the long hair. It was streaming down below my hips. I had an old robe that came halfway between my knee and ankle, and a few buttons missing up the front. And the children got up, and they got ready for Sunday school. They liked to go. Now, I didn't care whether they went or not. Bother me one way or another. Their daddy took them. They left. And they went to Sunday school. Well, there was only one place that you could buy a drink in Oatmulgee. And that was the VFW. And Bob, being a veteran, felt that he should be an active member of the VFW. <laughs> <coughs> And he participated fully in all recreational activities. So he would take the children to Sunday school, and then he would come back and attend his service at the VFW. 
So they came home. It was twelve o'clock. And there was mother, just like they'd left her. Long hair streaming. Old robe hanging. Old pair of flopping house shoes. And there I was. And they walked in and everybody was happy. The children had a great time at Sunday school. Bob had enjoyed his visit at the VFW. He had a great service. And Robin says, what's for lunch? And I said, nothing. And I looked at you-know-who so they would know who didn't pay for you-know-what so we'd have something to eat. Well, what are we going to eat? And they all fix yourselves a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So they did. And they went in the breakfast room and their daddy went with them and they were all laughing and talking. So I joined them. They damned if they'd be happy. I was miserable. So I went and sat down with them. And Rusty looks up and he says, Mama, could we go to the show this afternoon? And I said, How? We don't have any money. And I looked at you know who, so they would know why there was no money, you know. And so Robin said, Daddy, would you give us the money to go to the show? And he said, Well, sure. He just cashed a hot check at the VFW. We had plenty of money. And I said, well, how are you going to get there? I'm not going to take you. Not me. Not me. Daddy, will you take us? I thought so. Daddy didn't know how he was going to get back to VFW. He was tickled to death. Nothing he'd rather do. So I said, but don't call me because I'm not coming after you. If you go with him, you'll come home with him or you'll walk. And we live three miles. We used to move in town and out of town and in town and out of town. That was as far as we could go on our geographical cure. And I had settled on halfway between in town and out of town. So I said, you will walk home. I'm not coming after you. Not this time. If you leave with him this time, you will come home with him or you'll walk. Don't you call me. And they all walked out and got in the car and drove off and left me. And I just yelled at them. And they put out on the steps. Don't call me. I'm not coming. Understand? I went back in, pulled the draperies, and went in my bedroom and laid down in the bed. And I cried. Nobody loved me. And I had a bad afternoon. Robin was 12 years old. She was going to get married soon. And her daddy would be drunk at the wedding. And what was I going to do? Rusty had to start to college. He was seven. I had no way to send him. They foreclosed on the home that afternoon and I moved out, lost everything. Was on welfare. I cried about that. And the telephone rang. And a little girl says, Mama, Daddy didn't show up. Would you please come get us? And I gave a 15-minute dissertation on, didn't I tell you your husband is an alcoholic, your father is an alcoholic? Don't ever get married. Don't believe a drunk. Blah, 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 blah. And she would just say, Mama, please. Please, Mama, come get us. I slammed down that receiver and I went out that door and I was a damn man I could have killed the world. Just like I was. Long hair, old robe, flip-flopping house shoes. And I get in the car and I wheel to town just as fast as I can go. Windows roll down, the hair blowing out the window, you know, and I drive up in front of the theater. Sunday afternoon in our little town and everybody picks up their kids from the movie. And there were all these people sanely dressed. And there I was. And the children ran out and got in the car. And Rusty laid down in the back seat so nobody would know I was his mother. 
But Robin is a brave little soul, and she sat right beside me, and we started home, and I was just going in that old car. The wind whipping that hair out the window. And I, every place we go at my house to town, you have to go in front of the VFW. And I got to the VFW. And I slammed on the brakes, and I wheeled in. And Robin says, oh, Mama, no. Mama, no. Please don't. And I just stopped the car. Boy, I mean, I screeched the gravel. And she laid down on the floor of the front seat so nobody would know she was at the BFW. And I got out, and I went to the front door, and that's right on Main Street, and everybody was driving up and down. And there I was, the old hair and the old robe and the flopping house shoes. I hit that buzzer, and they opened the door, and the man stood back and looked for the broom. I did not speak to him. That trash. I walked through the bar. There wasn't a sound. I didn't speak to any of that trash sitting at that bar either. Of course, they were clothed nicely, I'm sure. Beneath me. Back through the bar. Back through the ballroom and into the poker room. And there sits Bob around the poker table. That cowboy hat pushed back. And he looks up. And he grins sort of sick. And he says, Hi, honey. I did not speak to him, that low-down scum. I just made me a little pocket of that robe, just like that. And I rounded that poker table, and I took everybody's money. <laughs> then I held my little pocket of my robe, and I stomped my foot, and I said, We're hungry. And out I went, back through the ballroom, back through the bar, with my quarters and dimes and nickels just jangling, and out to the car, jumped in, and I flew home as fast as I could go. And I got out of that car, and I ran in that house, back into that same bedroom, and I laid down on the bed, and I was physically sick. What had I done? What? Ramona. What did you do? Is there no link to the things that you would do to humiliate? I didn't even know the word humility. The only word in my vocabulary was humiliate. I had become a monster to fight a monster. And I could not stand me. I hated me. Well, the answer was a divorce. That's what I'd do. I'd tried everything else. So I got the divorce. My family was pleased. <laughs> Bob's family was happy. <laughs> Greatly. Elated. Bob was tickled pink. He wanted to get away from me. He, I was driving him to drink. And two little children just watched bewildered and wondered, what's mother doing now? Well, just before the six-month waiting period was over, Bob came to me with two little children playing Cupid and a little boy running in every time his daddy brought him home on the weekend. This little Indian boy would come tearing in the house and say, Mama... Daddy's going to take us to get ice cream. Would you go? And I'd say, Daddy doesn't want me. He'd say, yes, he does. Daddy's idea. Come on. And I'd go. And Bob came and he said, said those magic words again. Ramona, let's have this divorce set aside. Let's make a home for these children like they should have. Let's settle down. And I will control my drinking. Now, I had been living 13 years with active alcoholism. And he said, I will control my drinking. And I had heard this seven days a week, every week of 52 weeks of the year, 
for 13 years. And this time he says it, and you know what I did? I said, okay. <laughs> we went to a party that night. Well, first we went to the courthouse. We got the divorce set aside. And we came down the stairs. And two little children waited in the car. And when we hit the sidewalk out of the courthouse, they were already out of the car. And they ran up to us and they put their arms in a little circle around And they were so glad that they had their mother and their daddy. And their daddy couldn't stay sober and they knew it. And their mother was crazy and they knew it. But they didn't care. See, they loved us. And they had talked it over. And they were going to take care of us. Because we didn't have sense enough to take care of ourselves. <laughs> My parents didn't talk to me. My mama didn't. For three weeks after that, she's a mad because I went back. <laughs> you know what? Bob's mother met me with open arms. <laughs> I was her long lost child. She was so glad to have me back. See, Bob had moved home while I, while we were divorced. <laughs> well, that night, Bob and I went to a party and big, big dance. And I got drunker than he did. And the next morning, I woke up and I I got out of the bed. And I looked out the window at the trees. And I thought, my God, Ramona, what have you done? What have you done? You're right back right where you started. What have you done? Nothing has changed. And then I did what I think is so necessary for all of us in this fellowship. In both programs, that was the total moment that I surrendered. Up until that time, I was so sure there was something I could do. Well, then I surrendered. I gave up. And I think it is just as important that every one of us find our own surrender. We have to. We have to surrender before we're ready and willing to be used. And I surrendered. There was nothing I could do. I had tried it all. Well, this is the part now I like to talk about. This is the glory and the beauty and the joy and the happiness that is beyond hope. You, you don't believe it can happen to you, and it did. Bob and I went on a little trip to celebrate the going back together. We had a car wreck. <laughs> and I woke up in a hospital. And, and Bob was standing over me. I can see him now in that blue shirt starched and those blue eyes shining. Not a scratch one. And he looks down at me in the hospital bed and he says, Honey, Everything happens for the best. <laughs> and I looked up at him and I said, You son of a bitch. <laughs> but how little I knew. How little I knew. It took a lick on the head for me, for God to get my attention. You know. I had my first lesson in an Al-Anon meeting when I walked in that door. He says, hi, I'm Tom. And I said, hi, I'm Ramona. He said, would you like a cup of coffee? And I said, yes. And I sat down. And he waited for me to say something. 
So I started to tell him, I am this because, you see, I am married to an alcoholic. And he stopped me. And he says, Ramona, we're not here to talk about your husband. We're here to talk about you. And gals, if you're serving roasted husband in your Al-Anon group, you ain't having Al-Anon. You ain't there to talk about them. You're there to talk about you. And I got my lesson. And we went to work on me. And we had the first step. That was no problem. I had surrendered. My life was unmanageable. The second step. <laughs> what same people run around the VFW and rob people in their robe? That's fine. We get to the third step. And he says, Ramona, would you turn your life and your will over the care of God as you understand him? I said, me? No. Well, I remember. Do you remember that guy I made the deal with teaching Sunday school? He didn't keep his word, did he? Didn't keep his bargain. He says, I don't think you have a God of your understanding. He said, I believe that's where we better do a little homework, don't you? And so I did. And I did the homework and I did the studying and I did the things he said to read. And I read them and I did the things he said to do. He said, do them. This won't work if you just read it. It means do it. Find a God of yours, Ramona. Your own. He's big enough for you and me, and he's big enough for each one of you. And mine doesn't have to be yours, and yours doesn't have to be mine. But he's always there. Well, I had signs all over the house. God loves me. Faith without works is dead. According to your faith, be it done unto you. Bob flipped his head, poor Ramona. She's flipped her lid this time. She's really gone. And I worked at it. And I made mistakes and I fell down and I got up. And I went back and Tom says, try again. That's all you can do, Ramona. You're trying to change you. And it, I was trying to change me. And it was hard. Because I didn't have much to work with. I wasn't much. <laughs> he says, let go and let God. And I said, how do you do it? He said, well, why don't you first step, let go and let Bob. Let Bob do what Bob's supposed to do. You take care of your own business. Let go and let God. Okay, I went on Sunday morning. Monday morning, Bob traveled. He left. He'd go out the door. I'd wave goodbye. I'd say, God, he's your boy. You take care of him. You love him. Monday to Friday was a great day. I didn't have any troubles. Everything just went beautifully. The children and I were happy. We laughed and talked and I read my books and I studied and I worked. And I think I'm really making progress on this program. And Friday, Bob would come home and I gave God the weekend off and we had hell to Monday. Because <laughs> I thought he only worked a 40 hour week. And, 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 and Tom said, no Ramona, believe it or not, it works seven days a week, all the time, 24 hours a day. Let it go. I, I tried. I didn't do it all the time, but I worked, and I tried, and I was getting happier. And I, I have to, I'm running over time. I'm sorry. I'll try to not say too much more. But I do have something else i got to tell you. Will you listen? I didn't come for Virginia for nothing, damn it. Well, anyway, uh, uh, I got to reading all these books on faith healing. This is for one special person here that asked me to say this. And I got all, all hepped up on it. And, and I just read about faith healing because I wasn't bothering Bob. I was leaving him alone. This is what Tom said to do. Don't have any resentment. Let him be. Take care of you. So this was a Saturday night. 
And I was propped up in my bed. And I was getting beautiful, too. Because Tom told me I should be. He says, now, Ramona, you mustn't go around looking like you do. You know, I thought if I looked so bad, Bob would see how sick he was making me and he'd get well. You know, take better care of me. And he says, no wonder anybody looking at you would get drunk. You know, I mean, look pretty. You're God's child. Reflect, you know. So I got me some cold cream and I got my hair fixed at the beauty shop and I was going to be beautiful. So this Saturday night I was propped up in bed and I had my head all tied up so I wouldn't mess up my hair. I had all this cold cream on so I would look pretty. And my glasses on so I could see. And I was reading my book on faith healing and it was 1.30 in the morning. And Bob comes home from the VFW. And he comes through the bedroom and he goes in the kitchen and he fixes himself a drink. And he comes back in and he sits down in the rocking chair at the foot of the bed. He takes a little sip, tips that cowboy hat back. He says, what you doing? And I says, I'm reading a book. He says, hell, I can see that. And then he made the mistake. He said, what's it about? I'd just been dying to talk about faith healing. You know, you just don't go out in the street corner and say, now say, oh, buddy, what do you think about faith healing? You know. And I put my book down and I said, it works. He took another little drink. He says, you really think so? And I said, think so, I know so. And by this time I was at the foot of the bed. And I mean I was looking him in the eye. And I said, I know it works. I said, now, it's been proven medically, scientifically, it works. Now, I couldn't do it myself, you know. But if I could get rid of all the fear and the, the resentment and hatred and everything out of me and become a channel for God, all I'd have to do is just put my hand on you and say, Heal! And you would never take another drink again. Bob fell out of the rocking chair and he said, God damn, don't you touch me! He didn't let me lay a hand on him for many moons. He didn't spill a drop of his drink. I tell you, I rolled over in that bed and I roared. That's the funniest thing I ever saw in my life. And that was the first time I'd laughed. Laughter had come back into our house. Oh, Lord, I laughed. Damn, he was scared of me. I tell you, it's the funniest thing. Well, you know what? Bob found AA, not because of me, but in spite of me, he found it. And he joined the fellowship. And I was one of the girls that started the Omagi Al-Anon group. And we had our 10th anniversary last March. And I'm a member of that group and I'm very happy. And Bob and I had a beautiful life. We loved it. We met you people. Willard and Sue and Dave and Talbot. Oh, it was just the most... Oh, sure, we didn't have enough money, you know, and we had problems and all that kind of stuff. But it was lovely. Because Bob loved his AA and I loved my Al-Anon and we both loved you and God loved us and it was heavenly. And then I had cancer. And the day they told me I had cancer, I reverted again to the Ramona that was always acted in fear. God, why me? It was so good. Why me? Why? We've had so much wonderful time. Why me? So I had to take cobalt. And I took that therapy the same way I had done other things prior to this program, all by myself. I'm a little troubled with claustrophobia. And when they locked me in that room and that big machine hung over me, the cold sweat would run off. And I'd lie there and say, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it, Ramona. Don't move, you can make it, kid. 
stay in there. And that's the way I did it. And it was over. The 30 or the 42 treatments were finished. And I was proud of Ramona. Ramona had done it. And we started on our way again because they told me I was well healed, no problems. And it never entered my mind. Less than a year, I had a recurrence. And they called me in. And they said, this time, we've got to throw the book at you. Because you've got it. So this time, I walked in that same bedroom. The same bedroom that had been hell is now heaven. And I got on my knees and I did what this fellowship has told me to do. I said, God, what didn't I learn? Use me, will you? I did it my way and I didn't learn. Now, help me, God. Teach me. Use me. And that was the greatest blessing that ever happened to me. Because I got to go in and take those treatments and I would take one and they would go out and close the door and there'd be a thump and then complete silence. And that was my three minutes to talk to God. Not that I don't have any time to talk to God, but that was my three minutes. And I talked to him and I told him all that was in my heart. And I told him I loved him. And I told him everything. And then there was a thump and it was over. The connection was closed. And they came in and changed positions and went out and the same thing happened. And when the third happened, I got to listen. Because that was his three minutes to talk to me. And I felt like a great shining light of warmth in my heart. I didn't hear any words. I didn't hear any great words of wisdom or see a burning bush or have anything to tell you but one message, just one. And that is, I love you. And that's what he told me. I love you. I love my children. This is what I'm about. I want so badly. Please. Let me love you. And my God, give this love. We in this fellowship have it. We, we have it. There are people walking out there that don't even know what we're talking about. Now when you go home and you walk in the door of that little clubhouse or that room or wherever that meeting is, you and Al-Anon, when that little gal walks in that door and she's scared and she's sick and it's her first meeting and she doesn't know where she's going to get the money to pay the bills and she doesn't know what in the hell she's going to do, walk up to her and love her. Let her know you care. Maybe she doesn't understand the steps. Maybe she doesn't understand the traditions, but my God, she'll feel your love. And you and AA, when that drunk walks in, and he's dirty, and he's vomited, and he's sick, and he don't want you, he wants out of hell. Love him. He'll feel it. He'll know. That's all. He can't hear words, not now. He's too sick. He can feel. He can feel. Give it to him. Don't leave it here this weekend. Don't walk out of this beautiful place where God is here. Remember, He is there. He is everywhere. It's, he never moves. I pray that He stays. Oh, please. Please, give it away. Give the love you've got here. I've seen it all weekend. I've seen it one to another. I've felt it. I can feel it now. Maybe you can. I can. It is engulfing me right here. Don't leave it here. Don't take it.
Well, I took my last cobalt treatment, and in two weeks, Bob took his first, and his was terminal. And I thought, this I cannot take, and I didn't have to. Because, you see, I'd learned my, why did God give me two lessons? I had to have the second one so I would know what to do. Because, you see, I didn't have to do this by myself. I had learned, and Bob had learned, what one day at a time means. You taught us. And we got to live every day to the fullest. You had shown us. And we loved each other. And I didn't have enough strength for some days. And you gave it to me. You gave me the strength. And there were days I was sad. And I didn't have to stay that way. Because someone like you would call. And I could be happy. We had now. You see, as a little girl in the country, my mother raised baby chickens in the springtime, and I used to come home on baby chicken day and run out to the little brooder house. I'd throw my books after I got off the school bus, bus and run to the brooder house and pick me up a little baby chicken, and I'd put it in my hand, and I'd just hold on for dear life. And the little chicken would just squawk and squawk and squawk trying to get away. And one day mother took the little, looked at me and said, Ramona, put the chicken down. Put it down. And I thought she was being mean. I put the chicken down. She says, now open your hand. And I opened it. And she picked up the little chicken and she set it in my hand. And the little chicken was so happy. He just packed and packed. He made no effort to get out of my hand. And she said, always remember that. Hold what you love with an open hand. And I had forgotten. And I had held so tightly what I loved. I almost squeezed it to death. And I found the love of God and the love of man. And I got to open my hand and hold what I love with an open hand. And I learned what it meant. Last October, Bob died. He went into another room. I had walked in your walk. I had listened to your talk. And with your grace and love, and my God is I understanding, I was able to hold what I loved with an open hand. Because I know this day, if somebody walked up to a cowboy and said, you want to go back, huh? Those blue eyes would sparkle and he'd say, no way, because the grass is green and the cattle are fat. And it's a hell of a lot better meeting than you all have listened to where he is today. I cannot thank you enough. I came here with so little. I'll go away with so much. I'm so grateful for you at Blackstone. My God, what would I do without you people? I've been asked many times by people, Ramona, why do you go to Al-Anon? You're not married to an alcoholic anymore. Why do you go? It says, if your friend, and you're my friend, and I love you, and if you love an alcoholic, you're a member and go to Alamon. And I go because I'm so grateful, and I have so far down the road to go, and I can't walk in your moccasins if I'm not there to watch you. Mine won't follow your track. If I don't see it, and I'm grateful you let me be with you, I'll go home with so much. I beg your pardon for taking so much of your time. I didn't mean to and keep your lunch late. But I love you. I love you so much. 
God loves you so much. We love each other so much. I thank you. You are the greatest. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you from all of us. This gift is just a little token of our great love for you and for opening your heart to us as you can. I have a telephone message here.